0: Today we are going to wrap up our series, Rebuild, and uh, you know it's kind of like, have you ever watched a show, like maybe a Netflix show, when you were in quarantine and you watched it? Maybe it was four or five seasons, and when you were done with it, you feel like part of your family was like gone. I mean, like you missed them. Do you remember? You ever had that kind of moment? Well, I feel like that with Nehemiah. We're going to finish today. And I'm just going to miss Nehemiah. I feel like, you know, I've learned so much personally in my life. And so as we've gone through Nehemiah, the one thing we've talked about is this, is that for Nehemiah, it was not just about rebuilding a wall. It was about rebuilding a mindset, right? A mindset of identity, a mindset of purpose, and a mindset of mission. And I hope as we've gone through this series, the same things happen for us. That, you know, especially in light, listen, especially in light of where we find ourselves in the church. We are in historic moments. We are in exciting moments. Amen? We're in exciting moments, and if there was ever a moment that we need to make sure that we are driven by purpose and mission, it's right now. And so I hope as we've gone through this series, we've been able to build and for some of us rebuild our sense of purpose in Christ, our sense of being on mission for Christ. And like Israel, as a result, hopefully what's happening is revival is breaking out in our hearts and reviving of our love, our allegiance and our passion for the Lord. I hope that's breaking out in you. I know it's been breaking out in me to the point where I just, I love Being together on Sunday morning because the spirit of revival is beginning to happen in this place. And I'm so excited about that. And hopefully as we've rebuilt this, the spirit of revival is breaking out in us like it did for Israel. Now today we have to finish the book. I wish we didn't have to finish the book, but we've got to finish the book of Nehemiah. And when we go through the book of Nehemiah, here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out what happens to the group of people, the people of God, when they lose sight of purpose and mission what happens to them? So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 13 is where I'm going to be this morning. Nehemiah chapter 13. And as you turn there, I want to tell you a little, a little bit of background here. Between Nehemiah 12 and Nehemiah 13, there's a time gap here. If you remember, Nehemiah asked the king, can I go back and do all this work? And the king said, sure. And Nehemiah was back in Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls. Even though it took 52 days, he was back for 12 years 12 years he was back. The wall was built, the temple's built, and they're, they're instituting all these things, and Nehemiah was back for 12 years. So at the end of the 12 years, Nehemiah goes back to the king in Persia because he promised he would. He said, if you let me go, I'll come back. So after he goes back to Persia, scholars really don't know how long Nehemiah was there. Most would speculate between a year and a year and a half, and after that, he comes back to Jerusalem. Now listen to this. In his absence, in Nehemiah's absence, Israel begins to forget the purpose and the mission that they'd spent 12 years building and here's what we see happen in the life of Israel a relapse they go back now I just want to say this to you how many of you and don't raise your hand but just think about this how many of you feel like man God is really moving in your heart you're excited about the Lord I mean there's a passion and revival sense in you and how many of you that feel that way want to go backwards you ever have that moment in your life where, when I mean, you feel so close with God and, and you're moving the right direction? I mean, did you ever think about how good it would feel just to go backwards? Absolutely not. None of us want to relapse, do we? None of us want to go back to the mundane and the, the monotony and all. None of us want to go back to mediocrity. None of us do. That's exactly what Israel did. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at four areas that pinpoint for us how they began to relapse. Four areas that kind of show us the the places that they began to relapse, and the first one's found in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, on that day they read from the book of Moses, and the hearing of the people, and it found this written, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they do not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those foreign descent. Now, here's the first thing we see. First of all, we see that they fell back into compromise. The first thing we're going to see is how Israel fell back into compromise. Now, the law had established, when they read the law, the law had established that no Ammonite or no, Moabite was allowed to be in the temple area. None of them were. Now you say, well, why was that? Well, he tells us there because the the Moabites and the Ammonites did not help Israel out. When Israel was in need, they didn't help them out. In fact, they sent Balaam out there to curse them and to come after them. So the Moabites and Ammonites were not the friends of Israel. Therefore, they had no place in the temple. They weren't allowed to be in there because they didn't come help Israel, but rather they cursed Israel. But look what happens in verse 4. It won't be on the screen, but listen to this. It says, now before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of the God and who related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber. Now here's what happened. This priest who was related to Tobiah, you may remember Tobiah. Tobiah is the guy we talked about week two, and he was one of those kings of another nation who wanted to come against Israel. Remember, he didn't want to come and he wanted to stop the building of the wall. And in fact, it got so bad that he wanted to come and bring physical violence against them. They were going to physically attack them. And Tobiah was one of those leaders. So Nehemiah is gone. The law has been spoken. No Ammonites, no Moabites in the temple area. But this priest, Eliashib, he allows uh, Tobiah to actually go into the temple area and not just go into the temple area. He gives him a chamber, a large chamber where they stored grain and a lot of things as a part of the temple. And he cleaned all that out and let Tobiah Live there. And total breach of the law, that which was not allowed, the priest, the main guy, the man who represents God, allowed it to happen. He fell back into compromise. That which he should not have done, he does. The temple which was sacred, the temple which was to be guarded and not allow these enemies in the priest decides he's going to let Tobiah because he's related. He's going to let him go in and not just go into the temple, but to live there. Can you imagine how that would have defiled what God told His people to do? But when Nehemiah shows back up, let's look. I want you to look at what Nehemiah's response is. Look with me in verse eight and nine. I love this, and he says, "I was very angry." I love that. I love words. He knows he doesn't say, "I'm angry." Anybody ever been angry before? Come on, let me see your hands. You ever been angry? How many of you have ever been very angry? Right? There's a difference, isn't there? And he says, I was very angry and I threw all of the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chamber and I brought back their vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. In other words, I cleaned the place out, is what he did. See, Nehemiah, when he shows back up and he sees the temple of God has been defiled by letting these enemies in, he totally cleans it out and he cleans it up. He's quick to address the area and the issues of compromise. So while they fell back into compromise, Nehemiah comes along and he addresses it. Let me give you another area that we see in the passage. Look at me, skip down to verse 10. It says this in verse 10. Also, I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers who did the work had to had to flee Uh, had to fled each to his own field. So he says, listen, you know, remember the Old Testament where the tithe, the Old Testament tithe was for two things. And you may remember this. One, it was for the ministry of the synagogue or the temple. Number two, it was to pay the wages for the Levites because the Levites did not get a land allotment with the rest of the tribes. And so everything that was brought helped provide money for ministry and to provide a living for the Levites. And they made that commitment. In fact, if you remember last week, that wasn't even an issue, them bringing the tithe to the storehouse, was it? They were talking about and making commitments about giving beyond that. They were like, hey, forget that. We're going to make sure, not only do we do what's right with our tithe, we're going to make sure that we bring so much money that every need that there would be for this temple, physical needs, it's all going to be paid for. I mean, they raised the bar off the chart. But here's what we find out here. Forget about off the chart anymore. They, they weren't bringing extra money to help with the temple. In fact, they've even backed off of and aren't even bringing their tithes to the storehouse, They, they totally backed away from the commitment they made to the Lord about their finances. Here's the point. They fell back into selfishness, right? They fell back into selfishness. They didn't care about purpose and mission. They cared about having what they had. It is mine, right? So they fall back into compromise. Now they're falling back into selfishness. And look how Nehemiah deals with this. I love it. Verse 11, he says this, So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God being forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. In other words, Nehemiah did not let this linger. Nehemiah realized that they were robbing God, and therefore the Levites had nothing to feed off of, no livelihood there, and they were having to flee to their own fields to try to scrape up some money. And Nehemiah said, Enough is enough. And Nehemiah doesn't start with the people. Who does he start with? The leaders, right? He goes to the leaders and he calls them out. He confronts them and he does not let this selfishness linger. Now hear me on this church. Here's a nation that has been in captivity for almost 70 years. A nation that God has delivered and brought them back to their home place. A nation who's seen Ezra rebuild the temple. Who's seen Nehemiah, and they've helped Nehemiah in 52 days build this wall. A nation that has seen God show up in a powerful, powerful way. A nation who's made one commitment after the next commitment after the next commitment of how faithful they're going to be to their God. And yet we find out here that this nation that was once a nation that was in full-blown revival is now in full-blown rebellion. That's sad, isn't it? Come on, is that sad? And they fall back into compromise, allowing the temple what shouldn't be, and they fall back into selfishness. Instead of being faithful to their commitment to the Lord, to the tithe, and even to do more than that, they try to keep it all for themselves. And Nehemiah, on both occasions, addresses it. He goes, first of all, and cleans out the storeroom that Tobiah was in, and second of all, he goes and he confronts the leadership. Let me give you a third area that we see how they backtrack, so to speak, Look at me in verse 15 and 16. It says this, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the what? Say it again, on the what? The Sabbath. And bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them, On that day, when they sold foods, tyrants also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Here's the third thing we see they fell back into greed. They fell into compromise, into selfishness, and now they fall back into greed. Now, think about this. Do you remember the commitment they made about the Sabbath last week we talked about? Do you remember the commitment they made? Here's the commitment they made. They said, listen, we're going to commit not to work on the Sabbath day. We're going to commit to just totally make it our Sabbath. Now, for them, it was their day of worship, but we're not going to work at all. And then they raised the bar. Do you remember that? They said, no, we're not going to work on the Sabbath. Every seventh year, we're not even going to produce crops. We're never going to work the fields. And only that, everybody who owes me anything on the seventh year, I'm going to forgive their debt. I mean, they were like crazy with the commitment they made. Now, why do they make that commitment? Because in their commitment, what they're saying is, we completely trust God. We trust God's going to provide our needs. We trust God's going to take care of us. And we're going to make these small concessions, even though they seem huge, because we know God can provide for us. And what a great commitment. And they go back, right? They fall back into greed. They renege on their commitment and as it says here, they began to defy the, defile the Sabbath. They go back, and everything they said out of the gate of what they weren't going to do, now they go back and do it. Now, because they went back on their word, what does that say about their heart? Do you think they trust that God will provide all their needs now? No. See, they said that before, and they made a Commitment. And then somewhere they went from full revival to full rebellion. And the end result is they're back and they defiled the Sabbath. And that means that no longer do they trust that God is really going to provide for them. Now listen, I can't say this enough. I think as believers, we've got to understand what they're going through here. Because I think many of us will talk about, I just trust God. But do we really trust God? Do we really trust? Well, are we willing to put all our eggs in that basket, I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not talking about you know all those kinds of things. You might be thinking, "Well, what about if I do this or don't do?" That? I'm not talking about you know God gave you a brain, just use it. But I'm talking about a faith that says, "God, I have needs, and I trust that you're going to provide them." Do we really, really, really trust God? Do we really trust Him? See, they said they did, but in the end, they backed out and they fell back into greed. Now, this is my favorite part. I want you to look how Nehemiah responded to this greed. Look at me in verse 17. It says this, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, with this evil thing that you were doing, profaning the Sabbath day. The first thing he did was he confronted them. He said, you are profaning the Sabbath day, a day that we are called to make holy, that we're to rest, that we're to reflect on the Lord. You've defiled it again. You made a commitment, and in my absence, you've gone back. So he confronts them. But look also what he does in verse 19. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should be not open until after the Sabbath, and a station of load might be brought in the Sabbath day. In other words, he's like, listen, I don't trust you anymore. So I'm going to have all the gates shut before the Sabbath. And the gates of the city will not be opened again until the Sabbath is over. In other words, you say you trust God, but I don't believe you because your actions show something else. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna remove temptation from you and I'm gonna close all the doors. I'm gonna close the doors the night before the Sabbath and they're not gonna open up to the day after the Sabbath. So if you're wrestling with chasing the almighty dollar and chasing greed, those days are over for you. I almost feel like Nehemiah was being a parent to them. Don't you kind of get that feel? Like sometimes when your kids are doing things they shouldn't do, and you say, I'm gonna take that temptation away from you, so give me your cell phone, right? It's gone, that's what he does. But then look what else he does. He didn't stop there, verse 21. But I warned them, talking about those outside the wall, and said to them, who do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, listen, I will lay my hands on you. Now, let's just translate what that means. What do you think Nehemiah means? Does he mean we're going to have words? No. What's he saying? A fight's about to break out, right? I love that. Because Nehemiah's like, the Sabbath is so sacred and you so defiled it. I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to remove that temptation. And now I'm going to go to the vendors outside the wall and say, listen, if you try to sell to my people and get on the Sabbath, there's a fight that's going to break out. I'm going to lay some hands on you. And they aren't going to be prayer hands. I'm going to lay some hands on you, right? He said, then I commanded the Levites that they should purify. So here's what Nehemiah did. You ready? Nehemiah starved their greed he did. He called them out, closed the doors, and let's be honest, he threatened the vendors, right? He threatened them. I'm going to lay some hands on you. Some of you are going to go home and use that with your kids, right? I may may lay hands if you don't obey me, right? So that's the three things he did. Listen, here's what Nehemiah did. He starved their greed so he could restore the Sabbath. Let me give you one more area that we see in the passage, and it's this, verse 23 through 24. They fell back into compromise, into selfishness and greed, and there's one more area we see this. Verse 23, in those days... Also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. Do you remember last week when they made a commitment that they were going to have their children intermarry? Remember that? Because they understood something. They understood that not because it was an ethnic issue, but it was because if my kids intermarry with a different nationality of people, that nationality of people also have different gods they worship back in that day. And if my kids intermarry, if we allow them to intermarry with us, they're gonna expect us to worship their gods. And we so wanna protect the spiritual purity of Israel, we're not gonna let that happen. But here's what we find out. They fall back into disobedience, Right? They fall back into disobedience. That's our last point. They fall back into disobedience. Now, if you think about that for a moment, they are totally now allowing Intermarion to go on. Totally allowing it. It's that, in fact, did you pick up on this? That some of the children knew the language of Ashdod more than they did Judah. In other words, they didn't even know their own nationality's language. These are Hebrew Jewish kids, Israelites, who don't even know the language of the Israelites, but they know the language of this these nation of false gods. They totally allowed intermarrying to go. They totally forgot about the spiritual purity they had so desperately committed toward. They forgot about those things. They had now opened up the door for idolatry to creep back into the nation of Israel. They fell back into disobedience. Listen to how Nehemiah responds. This, look, Verse 25, it won't be on the screen, but listen to this. Verse 25 says this, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, "You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons for yourselves." Now, did you pick up on the, the force that Nehemiah used? He beat some, and he pulled the hair of others. In other words, he is upset and beside himself that this nation is so rebelled and fallen back into disobedience. And Nehemiah says, "We got to do something about it." And it's almost like he grabbed him by the nape of the neck and said, "You're going to make this oath again." You're you're, you, you, you don't want to do your homework. You are going to do your homework. I, I mean, you ever had that conversation with your kids? Yeah, like, go clean your room. I don't want to. And then you take them by the nap of the neck. And go, oh, no, you're going to go. You're going to clean your room. That's what's happening here. This nation that had made this commitment that had backed out, and Nehemiah comes along and it says he beats some of them up, and he t- pulled some of their hair, and he says, you are going to make this oath again. Why? Because he understood what it meant to protect the spiritual purity of a nation. And he got that. Now, here's what's heartbreaking to me. You ready? In less than two years from when Nehemiah left, probably a year and a half, from the time Nehemiah left, they go from revival to rebellion that fast. They fall back into compromise. They fall back into selfishness. They fall back into greed, and they fall back into disobedience. And as you read the story of Nehemiah at the very end, there's a part of you that should go, that should break our hearts, right? It should break our hearts that the people of God had experienced all they experienced, made all the commitments they made, and at the end of the day, in a short period of time, because Nehemiah wasn't present to remind them, they go back to their old ways. They relapsed. Now, here's how that meets us today. You ready? I believe with everything in me that we are in some of the most exciting times as a church that we may ever be in. Ever. I believe that. We are setting as a church, we've talked about praying that revival would break out among us, right? We've talked about that. We've talked about praying that God would show up in a powerful way. We've prayed that God would would guide our steps as we make this way to purchasing this land. We've prayed all these things, but I want you to hear me say something this this morning, church. If we lose sight of our purpose and our mission, we'll be just like Israel. Are you with me on that? Say amen. If we lose sight of our purpose and mission, while God is doing a lot of exciting things, a lot of great things, and we're praying for revival to break out, we are praying for God to guide our steps. If we lose sight of purpose and mission, we will run the risk of being just like Israel and going back and relapsing. Now, how many of you want to relapse? Anybody? I don't. I want to keep going forward, don't you? Amen? Amen. I want to keep going forward, and I don't want to relapse. And so if what's going to keep that from happening is us making sure that we respond as Nehemiah responded, meaning this, that when moments of compromise creep its way into our lives, our church, we deal with it. The moment that selfishness creeps its way up into our lives, our church, we deal with it. The moment that greed kind of settles in our heart or in our church, we deal with it. The moment that disobedience rises its ugly little head, we deal with it. We deal with it severely like Nehemiah dealt with it severely. If we will do those things, and when all these things creep its little head up, if we will address them immediately, quickly, and severely, we can still be a church that continues to live in the spirit of revival. We can be a church that continues to experience God doing great and mighty things in our presence, especially as we continue on to the purchase of this land. So here's my challenge for you today. As we wrap up Nehemiah, I do pray with everything in me that there's been some things for you personally that you walked away with. Maybe for some of you it was you had no idea how lack of revival was going on in your life, that you were not, that you were not experiencing the revival that you thought maybe you were Maybe for some of us, we were able to rebuild our sense of identity, purpose, and mission in life. I pray that you personally have been impacted by the story of Nehemiah, but I also pray that we as a church have been impacted by the truth that we've learned in the book of Nehemiah. I pray that with everything in me. But can I also say this, really the heartbeat of my prayer, way back in January before I decided in Nehemiah, knowing where we were at as a church, knowing that we were entering in, that we had already signed a contract, and we had had voted on a team, we were about to vote on the purchase, and and all that going through there, I thought there's probably not a better time in the life of our church to talk about purpose and mission like right now. If there was ever time that we have to be centrally focused on the purpose and mission of our church, it's right now. Because what we're doing with this land and eventually this building should only accentuate and help us better fulfill our purpose and mission to love God and what? Love people. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. And I want you to hear my heart on this this morning. There's three questions I want to ask you. And I don't want you to answer them out loud. I want you to answer them in your heart as we've gone through the book of Nehemiah and we've seen this sense of rebuilding and we've been praying for revival and we know what God has in front of us, here's three questions I wanna ask you. Number one, are you really bought in to what God wants us to do with this land and the vision that God has for us? Are you really bought in? Now I know what some of you are saying, well Doug, two months ago in a week we voted and it was unanimous, I know that. But can I just say this, that even though that you were bought in two months ago, there's a part of you that life happens, doesn't it? And when life happens, sometimes it's easy for passion to wane away. For example, you know, Christy and Donna and I are getting emails from the, from the civil engineer, from the county, and there's this loophole, and there's, there's this hurdle, and there's this obstacle. Can I just tell you where Doug's at today? Every obstacle that's faced with us, every hurdle that faces us, gives me greater confidence that God is in this. Every time we see a hurdle, every time we see an obstacle, instead of my confidence going, you know, I'm not so sure, now it's like, I know I'm sure. I know God is in this thing, and so I'm asking you because I want to make sure that you're passionate and you're saying, yes, Doug, I'm bought into this thing. Yes, I believe with everything in me, the next right step for this church is that land and eventually a building. I'm just asking you, would you, in your heart, would you answer that? Are you bought into that? And if so, let me ask you a second question. Would you begin to pray this? Would you begin to pray and say, Lord, how would you have me be a part of making that dream become a reality. Lord, would you just begin to pray, Lord, how would you use me? How would you help me be a part so that dream can become a reality? Let me give you a couple of ways I hope that you would pray for. Number one, one way I ask you to pray is pray through giving. There maybe one thing that you need to pray about. is okay. We're, we're headed down this, this monumental moment And Lord, what would you have me give toward this? Now, I'm not asking you, listen, hear me, church. I'm not asking you to take away from the tithe that you're to give to the Lord and give to this building. Please don't rob God and give it to the land. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. What I'm asking you is, Lord, what would you have me do above the tithe that maybe I could help us begin to put as much money down as we possibly can? Because listen, church, the more money we can put down the land, the less we borrow, the less we borrow, the quicker we're able to ask. The next question is, when can we build a building? If you're with me on that, say Amen. And so that's the past. Now, here's how we're going to raise that money. We're not going to do a capital funding campaign. We're not going to do a three-year. Some of you have been in church. You know I'm talking about like, oh, thank you, Lord, for that. We're not not going to do that right now. We're going to save that probably for later, but here's what we are going to do. We're going to enter what we're going to call a season of giving that starts today. Everybody say today. It starts today, and it goes for the next 95 days, which will take you to June the 30th, and here's what we're going to ask you to do. Would you just begin to pray, Lord, financially, is there something that you put on my heart that I might could give to help us Purchase this land. Some of you may say, Well, Doug, I I, you know, I, I would really love to say, let's, let's give $500. I really feel like God wants me to do that. Well, that's why we're doing three months because maybe you couldn't do that in one fell swoop, but over three months, you sure can do that. And maybe a few McDonald's trips we don't make, but, but at the end of the day, you know that's what God So we're giving you three months of this. Over so three months, we're asking you to pray about what you can do in light of giving to this property and giving to the purchase of this land. Now, I know what some of you are thinking also, saying, Well, Pastor, I want to give, but what I give is not as much as somebody else can give, and so maybe thats I feel like that's insignificant. Well, hear my heart on that. It's not necessarily what you give, it's the heart with which you give. Right, amen? amen. We learned that with a widow's mite, right? Amen. And so I'm just asking you, would you just open yourself up to praying, Lord, what would, you ha- what would be my part in this? How could I advance and carry out this vision that you've given our church to make it, Lord, what would be, on, be my part in that? And then there may be some of you in the room going, you know what, Doug, I'm faithful to tithe and give to the Lord, but at the end of the day, I just want you to hear me, Doug, I just don't have it. Well, let me tell you this. Here's something we all can do that's just as much important. In fact, it's more important than the finances. And here it is. You ready? It's pray. We can all pray. We can all pray and ask God to open up doors and to open up venues and to bring money. I mean, Nehemiah asked the king, by the way, would you give me the lumber that I need to build, rebuild all this stuff? He asked the most crazy question in the world and the king allowed it. Nehemiah prayed and he sought God and God provided. Listen to me, we need to pray as a church going, God, would you open up doors? Would you open up pathways? Would you make things happen so that we can acquire this so we can better fulfill our purpose and mission as a church? Will you commit to pray. And so all I'm asking you today, there's no pressure. There's no arm twisting. Nobody's going to catch you on the way out go. What did you say? What did you decide? None of that today. But listen to me. Will you begin to just pray and say, Lord, how might you let me be a part of making this dream come true? Maybe that's financially. Maybe that's through prayer. In fact, I have to tell you the story. I went and visited one of our sweet ladies who can't come right now due to COVID. She actually had some surgery and can't come. And I went to her door and I knocked on the door and she answered it. And she said, Oh, Pastor, she was glad to see me. Now, most of you probably wouldn't be that glad, but she was very glad, which made me really happy. And here's exactly what came out of her mouth next. She was so glad to see me. She said, I just got done begging God to help us with the land. And I thought to myself, I loved her terminology. I love that verb. She was begging God. She just got done getting off her couch and begging God to do what only God can do to help us reach our goal. And I thought, the church, we've gotta be doing that. We've gotta be begging God about what we can do, what we need to do to carry out his mission for our church. So will you begin to pray that? What are you willing to do? What, God, what, what, what would you have me do, Lord, to be a part of making this happen. Maybe that's financially, maybe that's through prayer, but God, what would you have me do? And then here's the third question I want to ask you. Will you commit to make sure that as for you and yourself and your family and for us as a church that we never lose sight of our purpose and our mission? And I know what you're saying, Doug, are you giving me access to say, I feel like we're off purpose and mission? And the answer is yes. And here's what I mean. How do we do that? How do we as a church, how do you as a congregation make sure as a church we are always staying on point with purpose and mission? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. Number one is this, is that when we have opportunities to serve, join in when you can. Be a part of those opportunities. We have a big thing coming up this weekend. Be a part of those things. And second of all, make sure the culture of this church never changes. And here's what I mean. If you ask somebody that had been around here for about two or three years, what, what, what is the vision of this church? What's the mission of this church? You're going to hear people say this phrase, that we're called to love God and what? Love, love people. You're going to hear it. And may the culture of this church never change because if we're loving God and loving people, that is the lens by with which... We do life. That's the lens that will keep us on task with purpose and mission. So here's what I'm asking you this morning to clear it all up. Here it is. Are you really bought in that this is what God wants for you and for us? Are you willing to at least begin to pray, Lord, how would you use me to be part of this? And would you be willing to commit saying, Lord, in my life, in my family, in my church, I want to make sure that we make sure that the idea of loving God and loving people is what always drives us. And if you're willing to do that this morning, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do in just a moment. In a moment as I pray, Elijah and Christy are gonna bring out a table. And on that table is the map of our property. It's a map, it's a big big banner. And I'm gonna ask you, if you're bought in and if you're willing to say, Lord, what part would I have in this? And Lord, I'm gonna make sure that as a church, we always focus on loving God and loving people. I'm gonna ask you to sign that banner. I don't care where you sign it. Please don't sign on love God, love people because that looks too cool. But you can sign anywhere else on the banner you wanna sign it. And then here's what we're going to do for the next 95 days at church. We're going to have it posted every week. That banner is going to be up as a reminder and as a token of the commitment that we've made on this day that we are bought in. We're going to ask God, how can we be a part? And we're going to make sure that no matter what comes our way, that we're always focused on loving God and loving people. And if you're willing to make those three commitments today, I'm not asking you a dollar amount. That's not the question. If you understand that's not the question, say amen. Amen. It's not the question. If you're saying, Doug, I'm bought in. I want to be a part, and I want to stay focused on loving God-loving people as a church. I'm going to ask you, when I say amen in a moment, if you would come, and you can sign as a family, you can sign as an individual, and if you would sign this banner, and let this banner be one of the first tokens of the commitment that this church has made about our future and about living out our purpose and our mission. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for today. And guys, I look at the book of Nehemiah. Man, there's so many profound things that take place. So many amazing things. Lord, we saw revival break out. We saw commitments take place. But Lord, today what we saw was a relapse. People went back. And God, I believe with everything in me that you've been doing a great work in the life of this church God, I've been in ministry a long time and there's nothing there's I've never been as excited to be a part of a group of people and to see what you're up to as I am right now in my life and my ministry. I love these people. I love this church. I love our mission. I love what you have in front of us. I love it, Lord. And more than anything else, I pray that revival would continue to sweep through us and that we would fight the temptation to relapse, that we would not go back in compromise, that we would not go back in selfishness, that we wouldn't go back in greed and that we would not go back in disobedience. And as those things creep their ugly little heads up, Lord, like Nehemiah, we'd be quick to address them. God, that's my prayer this morning. And God, as a church, as we go through Nehemiah, A nation that rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the wall. That gave them identity and purpose and credibility. We know we're on the cusp of that. And so God, I just pray today that for those that are are maybe new to our church or they're members of our church or they've been here forever, Lord, that there be something in them to say, okay, do I really believe the next right step is to continue on? Lord, I know we vote them. I'm talking about a, a renewing of that passion that we had two months ago. And for those of us that, yes, we are, Lord, we ask that hard question of, are we willing to begin to pray about how God might want us to be a part financially, how God might want us to be a part in our prayer life, how God wants us to be a part of this? And Lord, I also hope we can make that commitment that no matter what comes our way, that we will be a church that always raises the banner, that we are called to love God and love people. That is the lens through which we will do church moving forward. And so for God, for those that are willing to make those commitments, I just pray that you would burden their heart that signing this banner doesn't sign anything other than a token, a a memorial to us for Lord, for the commitment that we're making today, that we're bought in, that we want to be a part and that we want to stay on purpose and on mission. So God, as people feel led, Lord, may you just, may you touch their hearts. May this be a reminder for the next 25 days, the 95 days of the commitment that we've made to you. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you feel led anywhere you want to sign it, but if you're bought in, if you want to be a part and you want to make sure we're on purpose, on mission, moving forward, this is going to be one of the sweetest moments in the life of our church. And whether you're a first-time guest or you've been around here since the beginning, this moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're, if you're willing to make those commitments, would you join me in signing this banner?